Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, good morning New Zealand, it's 9.03 this uh, Wednesday morning, very busy show for you, between 9 and 12 uh, we begin with uh, the doyen of uh, sailing, of yachting in this country, uh, Pete Montgomery, uh, we'll do a little review on uh, what's happened in terms of our sailing program over there in Tokyo, Great. Craig McGrath will join us as well, uh, he's the assistant coach for the Auckland rugby team, of course the Bunnings NPC underway this weekend. Uh, Helene Wilson, also just uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, the head coach of the Northern Mystics, of course, the big final of the ANZ Championship this weekend, this Sunday afternoon, actually, uh, Spark Arena, uh, and that is against uh, the Tactics, who uh, overwhelmed uh, the Steel down there in Invercargill last Sunday, so uh, that promises to be a fantastic encounter. As, as well as that, throughout the morning, we'll be talking to, uh, hopefully, John Macbeth uh, and Ben Hurley, who's uh, our Joker, our comedian of the week, uh, and he is an absolute sports fanatic. That's coming up uh, here between 9 and 12 on SENZ. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, she's like winks in a boat, the All Blacks at Eden Park, the Concord back-in service, a veritable flying machine, unstoppable, and she's ours. What is under the bonnet, you say? How can she go from neutral to fifth gear in five strokes and put a race to bed in 20 metres? She and we have enjoyed a decade of dominance and a decade of gold, and she, of course, is Lisa Carrington, the pride of Fokatani, and we, of course, are the lucky ones, and we might even get luckier uh, over the next two days. Wouldn't bet against it. It's not right to expect gold. Too many people work too hard. But there's a real sense of surety when Lisa lines up that kayak ready to explode out of the gates, whether individually or alongside Caitlin Regal yesterday, her K2 partner in the Sublime. Both ladies were great yesterday. It was spine-tingling, chest-bursting stuff. But there can only be one goat, one greatest of all time. Google has Lisa Carrington at 1.68 metres and 53 kgs. Easily the most compact, smoothest, Rolls-Royce that's ever been produced and the engine purrs again this afternoon and and we got four gold medals yesterday incredible we haven't achieved that since oh uh last Friday coming in from the right, Great Britain coming in from the left, the New Zealanders are behind Germany, can Great Britain get Germany on the line, it's going to be close, it's for the medal, Germany coming in on starboard, Great Britain look for the shoot on the line, it'll be a photo finish, down come the bows, and it looks like who's it going to be, Great Britain just get there. 
Well, sometimes he can be pretty reserved. Uh, uh, Pete Lister, I'll tell you, he was just right over the moon yesterday and so tense uh, about what's happening in that race because he knew all the scenarios uh, about the Burling Chuke uh, finish and where they had to be and that he, he could picture them in his mind and they changed uh, so often uh, throughout the race. To talk to us about that and that race and of course uh, the overall sailing program, I'm going to chuck some America's Cup in there as well just for the heck of it because we don't get this kind of gold uh, on, on this uh, station very often. 11 America's Cups, 9 Olympic Games, 11 round the world races, every one of them actually, commentator of the year, broadcaster of the year, uh, MBE, Peter Montgomery, thank you so much for giving us your time this morning. Greetings, good morning. Uh, look, can we be disappointed? Uh, Peter, you've been to a lot of Olympics. Do we have the right to be slightly yep. disappointed? Uh, Do we expect uh, uh, too much yeah, from our sailors? Uh, yeah, 10 Olympics. Well, I remember, uh, you know, uh, being, say, back in Athens when we won none, and we, we could have and should have. I, I, I think um, where it's got to is that New Zealand has done well and the expectation of one gold, one silver, and one bronze before the regatta started uh, was not unrealistic. Um, and a lot of we made um, uh, about the medal races, about what Josh Jr. did or didn't do, and Burling and Duke, uh, and whether going out to the left was the right thing compared to what the others did. But then you can go back in all the, the previous races to qualify for the medal race, and I'm sure Burling and Chu can think of a, a couple of uh, things that they would do differently, uh, so that therefore, instead of going in leading, what was it, by four points, they could have had a lead of six or eight points and just had that, that extra cushion. But certainly winning a silver is very good. And then you've got to take in the, the other fact, how uh, specialised now uh, Olympic sailing has become, that basically all around the world, notably out of Europe, they do it full time. And yet Burling and Chuk have been sailing in the America's Cup this year and the Sail GP. And probably in the end, uh, they just didn't have enough time in the boat uh, and, and to get up it in spite of what, what they've done all in so like driving a, a car or riding a bike. It comes back quickly. But the subtleties, particularly in that lighter air yesterday, if it had been... 15 knots or so on and bleed chook out on the wire then it would be a bit more straightforward uh, Peter in terms of the conditions uh, from from my point of view watching on television at home it looked like most regattas you know there were there were lay days there were days where they couldn't sail because uh, of a lack of breeze etc were the conditions pretty typical for you or was the course very tight uh, no I, I the conditions are what we expect uh, uh, in in the Shima in, in Japan because uh, that's where New Zealand uh, won its second Olympic gold medal, Helmut Peterson and Earl Wells in 1964. And subsequently, there have been many regattas uh, there, and the New Zealanders were aware of, and they'd spent time there, even 12 months out, 24 months out. Those expecting to get to the Olympics had spent time, so that that wouldn't come as a surprise, no. Or the conditions okay, that we right. had would not have come as a surprise. Okay. Um, look at our overall performance. Uh, there was uh, some very young people we sent away this time, um, you know, and the various combinations. Uh, did we get it right in that regard? I mean, they have seriously a lot of regattas to, to break them down to get to, the, to picking the team, don't they? Uh, they, they do, yeah. Well, w w way back when, whenever it was in the 80s, 90s, it was a winner-take-all 
uh, Olympic sail regatta here based on the idea of trying to replicate uh, the winner-take-all regatta at the Olympics where you try and put the pressure, but you'll only uh, get the pressure that happens at the Olympics at the Olympics, which comes to another point that we can chat about. New Zealand qualified in 10 classes and they only sent seven. And I'm well aware without going to the distant past, but there are people that may have gone to a regatta and had a modest result, but they learned so much and they did very well and even got a medal the following regatta. So um, I, I, I think, uh, that, you know, Yachting New Zealand can review. Uh, they, they'll justify it, that, that why they didn't send people. But, that, you know, that, that's another matter. I certainly expected um, that, that we would do a lot, lot better um, in the... Um, 49er FX with Alex Maloney and Molly Meat, silver medalists from Rio. Uh, they were 12th overall. They did not fail in the medal race. That was a shock to me. I was expecting them to get at least a medal. And that comes back to what happened in some of the other classes, just a slow start. And uh, they didn't do so well. Um, they were over the line. They capsized. And when that happens, it's very hard to come back. And Josh Jr., it was commendable that he had got fifth. Uh, and, but, but at one stage in the medal race yesterday, he was third uh, in line for a bronze. And a pity he didn't get that. But say in the first race, he got a 12th, which he dropped um, as his worst performance. Then he got a 10th. Then he finally got it into the groove. Um, so uh, the message here is, you know, you've got to start well and, and uh, otherwise you're playing catch-up. And th that's what happened. Um, we'll see this afternoon with Paul Snow Hanson and Dan Wilcox. Um, they're currently fifth overall. And uh, the points difference, depending on what we saw yesterday with the topsy-turvy up and down and someone had a medal at the end of one leg and then they were nowhere the next. Uh, I mean, they, they could be in with a chance of a medal. Um, but, uh, um, well, the short answer to your question, I expected New Zealand to get gold, silver and bronze, at least three medals, and they won't. No, they won't. Uh, talking to Pete Montgomery here, uh, it's 9.13 on uh, SENZ. Uh, Peter Burling with the silver yesterday, uh, PJ, he became our most successful sailor ahead of uh, Barbara Kendall. Of course, he's now got a gold and two silvers. Um, she's gold, silver and bronze, Barbara Kendall. Uh, his combination with Blair Chook is, is undoubted, but Burling himself, what, what has uh, been his attributes that you've noticed? Oh, his attention to detail. He uh, what completed three years of an engineering degree. He's got a very inquiring mind from way back, and he learns. I uh, remember he, he, he was at Beijing 2008, uh, he, even when he was at uh, uh, Tauranga, uh, uh, boys, uh, still. I mean, he, he is a real talent and very thorough. And and he, uh, at one stage, I know when he was sailing uh, one boat, the Harkin people, who have uh, the best winches that all the top dinghy sailors, well, keelboat sailors use, or mini sailors use as well. And he would take it apart, not that he was critical of uh, the manufacturer of the Harkin winch, but just to work, learn how to work. I mean, he's got such an inquiring mind and very, very much attention to detail. But um, one of the sad things that uh, Burling and Chute, by not winning gold yesterday, they were on the cusp. If they'd won gold, they would have pulled off something that has never been achieved, and that is to win the America's Cup 
and Olympic gold medal in the same year. There are 11 sailors uh, who have won Olympic sailing gold uh, and also won the America's Cup, but never in the same year. And if that had been pulled off, it would be a feat that would have never been, you know, would never be, because to get everything synced up, that is the America's Cup and the Olympics, and then you've got to be able to win both. Uh, I mean, well, it's never been done, and it's a shame that didn't happen. But they're a brilliant combination, and they... um, Peter Burling has tended to come out of a shell a bit over the last few years. He was very shy way back when in, in you know, 08 or even to 2012. But uh, as he's gotten a bit older, he's got uh, a, a little bit more confident and ha- happier to chat. And Blair Chuk has always been outgoing, and uh, they complement each other very well. But they have not had a lot of time. I mean, the first third of the year... Uh, they're involved in the America's Cup, and now they're heavily involved in Sail GP, sailing in a regatta, standing aside for the, the last couple. But it is very difficult to dance and play in the orchestra at the same time, Ian. Uh, Pete Montgomery, uh, can I just uh, revert back to um, a subject you brought up there, actually, uh, and it's a wonderful achievement, as you say, the America's Cup. In your view, where are we at with the America's Cup in terms of uh, possible, possible venue, uh, possible date even. Uh, well, we'll, we'll hear in uh, is it September where it's going to go. I won't be surprised where it moves on. And uh, the recent reports to me uh, really uh, simply looked as they were written uh, to suit political masters, particularly the MB report. Um, I, I know for certain that before Christmas. Uh, uh, well, before we start saying that, I mean, when you put uh, the Auckland three waters, noticeably the storm water, and huge costs uh, in and around the waterfront that Auckland will have forever, I mean, th- that was nothing to do with uh, the how, how they front-loaded so many costs, either government and or Auckland Council. They just treat people as fools. And and uh, it, it was just a joke to me, the, uh, the, the reports that were so stacked in favour of either um, Auckland Council and or MB. And uh, what, what they didn't say, I know for certain that, um, uh, that there were many requests to MB, um, could we bring super yachts in? On, the answer was no, 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 just a flat no, and we'll be a hermit nation. Now, number one, these uh, super yachts were sailing from uh, the West Coast or wherever, Tahiti. They'd be at least 14 days at sea, and they, were, they had um, their COVID checks before they set sail, at least 14 days. But they were all happy to go in and clear customs at Opua in the Bay of Islands and then go to um, a, 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 an anchorage, a shelter a, 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 somewhere. And they were told by MB, no, we won't allow that. We'd be very concerned there could be a fisherman out at four in the morning, zero four hundred in the morning, and he's throwing a can of beer by someone on the super yacht. So that's the kind of thinking. And then they write reports to justify themselves, to make them feel good. Well, we've seen in many other issues, including the COVID thing, that there's a lot of holes in the bucket at MB. And, uh, but you wouldn't know that reading the report. So uh, a lot of that, I, I know that um, uh, 
uh, when Phil Twyford was there, it was lights on, no one home. And when Stuart Nash became uh, the uh, um, Minister of the America's Cup, he got it. And soon after, there was the apology. But since then, there has been... Um, real resentment by certain people in MB and uh, there's a word the Brits use a lot jobs worth meaning you're at level two three or four in the organization and use your authority to roadblock or whatever and there's been a lot of people in MB doing that and they're doing the best of, uh, they've done their best to force team New Zealand out of the country Pete Montgomery thank you so much uh, for your insight on uh, not just our uh, Olympic campaign this time around uh, and also the America's Cup and the politics behind it uh, and I'm sure um, we could have asked you many many more questions but uh, we've got to move on uh, and uh, thank you again for your time and some really juicy stuff uh, there from Pete Montgomery. Okay 8833 8833 is our text number um, your reaction maybe to our sailing campaign um, what about Tom Walsh last night almost red lighted red flagged uh, out of it and thank goodness we had a common sense uh, uh, official overriding things so he can move on to the next round of the shot put with uh, young Jack O'Gill uh, outstanding achievement from both of those men but boy, 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 all that preparation could have gone down the gurgler uh, thanks to some shoddy officials. Uh, 0800 150 811 is our phone number as well, you could be quarter of the month, you could win uh, an all black experience courtesy of Ballpark Entertainment here on SENZ. In safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.25 here on SENZ. Uh, text coming in. Smitty, love your work. How good was Tom Walsh last night? The officiating last night had me spitting text, but he kept smiling as he took it in his stride. I've just been watching the highlights of that. That was uh, absolutely Tom Walsh to a T. What a great bloke. Uh, has uh, had the privilege of uh, spending a little bit of time with him away from sporting circles, and uh, he's just a fantastic bloke. And you can imagine that not much ruffles him. So when he got a bit nervous after the third one, and it can only be about where his feet were and uh, whether he had stayed within the circle. So that, that would be, for me, uh, where it was. And But different people had different ideas on it, but the fact of the matter is, these days, you can look at it all on video and you can map it out very, very minutely and closely, uh, and in the end, common sense, and the right decision was made. So, yeah, really, really good. Uh, look, uh, yeah, it's, I think it was one of the great interviews with one of Sailing's greats, Pete Montgomery, of course it was. Yeah, he, he doesn't give a bad interview. Uh, don't agree with Pete, read the America's Cup. Why should the government have two sets of rules? One set of rules for the rich and another for the poor. Let's open the borders up to people with money, but people trying to see dying loved ones can get stuffed. Nice one, Peter. <laughs> well... Yeah, that's from uh, Liam. Yeah, I, I have that um, in my mind as well, Liam, to be fair. And I, I, I ask that question of people uh, with the, the Wallabies coming in and getting an economic ex exemption uh, in that regard. Uh, and that's basically, I think, what Pete was talking about, what it meant to the economy. Uh, and, you know, and it, that's, that's really, I mean, dollars and cents speak in a lot of areas. But uh, that, 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 I think, was uh, a, a really, really... Uh, important thing to consider, and, and always will be in this day and age, the financial ramifications of yay uh, or nay. Uh, also, uh, this morning, 11 of 40, Lydia Ko tees off. She's playing with uh, Shen Shen Feng of China and the defending gold medal champion, Mbi Park. So she's got a really good pairing. Uh, so we'll be watching uh, our golf coverage 
uh, on Sky Sport. We'll try and uh, give you some updates, uh, courtesy of Choices Flooring, Visualizer Room View. So, yeah, all those um, all those things we'll be keeping you up to date on. And uh, as we say, the, the yachting hasn't quite finished yet. There's still a chance in the men's 470. Paul Snow Hanson and Dan Wilcox uh, are currently fifth with the medal race today, but they'll have to probably win it, I would imagine, to get into medal contention. Um, yes, John, so that's basically um, what's, what's been happening overnight. Hey, but the, how about those cycling boys? How oh, disappointing. Mate. What a margin that is. You, you know, just 0.9 of a second. I mean, it's, it's just a click of the fingers in a race of that nature. It was 0.09 of a second, Smithy. Nine one hundredths yeah. of a second, you know, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, yeah to, to get into the gold medal ride. So up against Italy... Stacked team. Uh, they've got a time trial professional, just a brilliant, brilliant team. But our young fellas went out there and took it to them. And every lap, the lead was changing. It was just epic. I think we had the lead going into the last lap and then to be pimped, uh, pipped on the line like that by 0.09 of a second uh, at world record pace. So the New Zealanders, they would have had the world record. Second fastest time ever. And you're still not riding for gold. So I feel gutted for them, but they get a chance at bronze against the Aussies tonight, just before 9 o'clock, so I'm just hoping they bring home a medal, because they deserve it. Yesterday, with the heartbreak of Burling and Chuk, the heartbreak of David Nika, uh, who went out all guns blazing in his boxing match, and then the the gutting, uh, yeah, finish to that cycling, I'm glad Lisa won uh, those couple of golds, because or else it was a bit of a day of heartbreak, even though we got two other medals. Yeah, four, four medals yesterday, so Four on Friday, four yesterday. A very creditable performance too from Anton, Anton Downs Jenkins. He finished eighth in the three-metre springboard diving. Uh, he's only 21 years of age. Uh, he's been uh, based at University of North Carolina. Uh, he's the first male Kiwi diver to compete at the Olympics since 1984. So flying the flag for us there. And uh, as a young man, obviously, he's got Paris in his sights as well. So it's uh, upward from there. David Nika. I thought very brave performance, very, very brave performance, but uh, I think he was outclassed. I don't think there was too much controversy, John, in that uh, particular result. No, no, there wasn't. And what a fight. Like, amateur Olympic boxing is great. They just, because they've got the bigger gloves, I guess, and uh, there's not really a, a chance that you can be knocked out, or it's very rare compared with professional boxing. So they can just go at each other. It reminded me of like a schoolyard fight. They were just, well, with a lot more skill, obviously, and expertise, but they were just swinging for the fences. It was really, really entertaining stuff. So uh, we tried to get David Neeker on today, um, but he is too gutted. Too gutted to speak today because I guess that's a five-year dream for him, even longer, after missing out on Rio, not qualifying. So uh, bronze, he's disappointed with, but I think he'll look back and go, hell, I'm the first one since David Tua to win an Olympic medal, and he'd had an all right professional career, so I'd expect David Nika to go on to bigger and better things from here, Smithy. Yeah, and that is the news we're hearing, that he is coming out um, of the amateur stakes to go firmly into the professional boxing ranks uh, where he can make a quid. And uh, on what we've seen, uh, with a bit more polish uh, added on top and a bit more experience, uh, I can imagine he's going to be a good ambassador for boxing and do very, very well out of it. It's 9.30, it's news time. <coughs> Nine thirty-three here on SENZ uh, Wednesday morning. Of course.
course, and uh, that means that the Bunnings NPC is very, very close at hand. In fact, uh, we've got on the line uh, assistant coach for the Auckland squad this year, uh, Craig McGrath, who uh, very kindly has joined us to talk about his squad and his chances. Uh, good morning to you, Craig. Uh, really, uh, you couldn't ask for a, a better start, I reckon. Uh, Canterbury on Sunday afternoon at home. What a way to kick it off. Yeah, morning, Smitty. Yeah, no, we're pretty excited about uh, playing our old foes. Uh, and obviously we're at home, so that uh, makes it uh, even better for us, I guess. So, yeah, no, we're looking forward to it. Now, look, I, I would imagine, I'm just looking through your squad, which is amazingly strong. Uh, 17 yes. Blues squad members uh, available to you at times, I would imagine. Let's factor in, of course, that uh, there are all-black commitments, so you haven't got access to them, uh, perhaps you would like. But it's a yeah. really, really strong and, and deep squad that you've been able to put together, Craig. Yeah, uh, we're really, um, super excited about, the, obviously, the strength of our squad and obviously those boys from the Blues coming down after their successful campaign in the Trans-Tasman. Um, but what excites us even more is that, you know, we've got uh, six under-20 players, New Zealand 20. Uh, we've really had a, a change, well, I guess a change of mindset about developing our youth and... Um, we were really excited about those younger players and them being involved with the NPC, uh, the Super Rugby boys. And then obviously, um, you know, we've got a, <clears throat> a few returning uh, outer statesmen like you know, Bryce Heem and uh, we've got Robbie Abel. Um, and then we've got two new guys coming, uh, Solomon Cutter and uh, obviously Roger from um, his time with the Warriors and in, uh, in, in, in the NRL. So, yeah, it's a really well balanced squad, but really excited about the the young players that we've got coming through. Uh, before we get to uh, Roger Tuovasa-Sheikh, which is, uh, of course, a, a major inter- interest point for not just Auckland rugby fans, but uh, fans around the country, uh, Harry Plummer is your skipper this year, taking over from TJ Fayani. Harry's been accumulating a lot of experience. What do you see the qualities he's going to bring in terms of leadership? Oh, look, I think um, a couple of things with Harry. One, he will lead by example. Um, you know, he's our game driver. He'll put us in the right part of the park, um, but also he's a he's a well liked by the group. Um, everyone respects Harry, and um, most importantly, he's an Auckland boy too. So um, we're really looking forward to Harry as a leader. He's been a leader of this group, uh, particularly in the last couple of years um, at, at this level. So we're looking forward to him watching him grow in that space. And obviously, he's it's as Harry will say, yeah, it's not just Harry as a leader; it's the Players around him, you know, Scott Scrafton, Blake Gibson, um, you know, we have, like I said before, Robbie Abel and those guys, Lenny Upsai, older guys who will help Harry. So it's more, uh, yes, it's great for Harry and he's going to do a great job. I 100% believe that. But also it's the other boys around him to help him. So he's got a good group of uh, co-leaders. It looks strong. Uh, Alama, of course, uh, is uh, head coach uh, again this year. Uh, Craig, Let's talk about Roger Tuovasa-Shek because uh, he is, uh, I guess he's going to be a draw card, not that he's uh, played too much rugby of late, of course, being with the Warriors, but um, mm. ha- have you seen him at training? I mean, he, has he fitted into the squad easily? Yeah, easy. Uh, first training day yesterday, and first thing that sticks out is obviously ultimate professional. Um, really good, studious in his books. Um, I actually had a meeting with him today, this morning at seven o'clock around um, his uh, what's requirements around his D and everything he learnt about yesterday he was able to come back 
with the exact information and really good understanding of what's required. So, um, yeah, look, he's the ultimate professional. Um, and I think that's going to be really good when I talk about the younger group of players that we've got. It's going to be good for them to see how he operates, um, not just on the field, but obviously, most importantly, all the stuff that he does off the field will be um, great visual and uh, opportunity for our young players to learn off him. It was a surprise uh, to a lot of league fans that uh, Roger was able to be released from uh, the Warriors and come home as, er- as early as it was. But, I mean, that, the bad news for the Warriors fan was great news for rugby fans and great news for you because you get access to them a lot sooner, perhaps, than maybe you thought. Yeah, look, we, we probably figured that we'd probably get him around maybe around four at the earliest, five. Um, so we were only sort of banking on getting him later in the year. But to have him here now... And um, preparing for this week, and then obviously um, early in the campaign, one, it's only going to be good for us as a team, but also I think um, Roger's pretty driven on being successful at this. He's not come across the rugby to, I guess, make it a, um, you know, he's come across to be successful. He hasn't come across to to dilly dally around, I guess, if you want to say, but he's he's here, he's, like I said before, he's professional. He wants to be successful, and um, in, 20, in the short time that I've seen him, I, I believe he will be successful at this level. So it's good for him to give him a, a little kickstart before, obviously, <clears throat> he's involved with the Blues. It's 9.39 here on SENZ, and we're chatting with uh, Craig McGrath, who's uh, the coach, the assistant coach of the Auckland rugby side, to kick off their campaign uh, this Sunday afternoon, 4.35 at uh, Eden Park. Uh, is Roger Tuvasashek on your radar for this weekend, or how soon do you anticipate that he will be running out in those blue and white colours? Yeah, look, I, I think one of the things we've spoken about as a coaching group is um, we don't want to rush Roger. We want to make sure that um, he's given every opportunity to, when he does get his opportunity to play, that he's prepared and he's 100% to go. And I think the worst thing we could do is just throw him into the deep end and let him go. Um you know, it was quite funny. Yesterday, we were doing some clarity stuff, and uh, he carried the ball and went to, went to ground and placed it back as he would in rugby. But then he stood up when the ball was gone and rollballed it, and you know, gave the visual of a roll ball. So, you know, that was his first time he's carried the ball into a ruck in since 2011. So, uh, when he was 18 years old, 19 years old. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of things that uh, we feel as coaches that he needs to um, do first before we then just throw him into the deep end. Well, we don't want to throw him into the deep end. We want to prepare him as well as we can so that um, he can make every post a winner. So it'll be, and that makes, it'll be a slow progress. That makes makes a lot, of, a lot of sense, actually, Craig, to be fair, because there are some um, you know skills that have come into the game, uh, of course, since he last played it. I mean, he probably watched mm. a lot of rugby on telly and that, but there's nothing like it actually getting out there and playing it. You know, skills like hitting rucks, uh, you know, kicking game. Are, are we looking at a, at a wearing the 12 scenario at this stage? Is that still the plan? Uh, I think long term, there's uh, talk about him playing that position. Um, I think we we will probably, again, like I said, we want to ease him into this process. So we probably see him as a, as a right winger. Um, that's where he played his last game of rugby. So it would be silly of us not to... Um, He's played that position, so let's try and push him into that position at this stage. But um, yeah, I think long-term there's talk about him playing 12. But um, for us in the coming weeks, we'll probably look at him as a, as a winger. 
Uh, and you've got some strength there. My goodness, you picked up uh, Solomon Akata. Uh, you got him off the Brumbies, which was outstanding. You got Bryce Heem back on board, Caleb Clark back from the Sevens, and Zan Sullivan. Now, uh, I'm not sure there were too many more um, impressive 15s uh, in the last can- Super Campaign than Zan Sullivan. He looks a natural. So you've got riches there, uh, Craig. Yeah, we're pretty, we're very uh, fortunate, aren't we? Um, you, you didn't even mean. I don't think you mentioned Celestia Rayasi as well, and and no, AJ Lamb. So, right. and, and you know, yeah, we're lucky. We're yes, uh, we're really lucky to have all those guys in those positions. Good thing about, um, I guess, Bryce and Solomon is that um, they they can cover thirteen as well. So, um, we'll, we'll we'll fit them in somewhere. Right, absolutely fantastic. It's a uh, a really big start for you. I think you've got Tasman in round two, maybe Hawks Bay, for the, possibly for the Shield in round three. So, I mean, it's very, very exciting, that, and it's tough because you're in the Premier Division. You're going to get uh, a really high-quality match every weekend. But uh, this uh, weekend, Canterbury would be no better way to start than a win against the Red and Black. So that's perfect, isn't it? Oh, look, every game's tough in this competition. Um, yeah, we've got a really tough start. We play Canterbury, Tasman, Bay of Plenty, and then until Wellington. So... We've got four tough games, but we're just purely focused on this week against Canterbury. Yeah, I guess it's a triple header with the All Blacks playing on Saturday. Then mm. we've got our Farrah Palmer Cup team playing the early game before we play at 4.30. So, yeah, it's a big weekend at, uh, at Eden Park, so we're looking forward to seeing the people down there. Yeah, it's a place to be, all right. Uh, Craig McGrath, thanks very much for your time. Uh, all the best for a prosperous season. Let's hope you can, uh, particularly with RTS, uh, get them on track the way you want to see them play. Thank you again uh, for chatting to us here no on pro- SENZ. No problem. Thanks, Craig me. McGrath there. Yeah, good on you, man. I'll catch up with you, of course, uh, throughout the season. I've got a couple of Auckland games. I look forward to that. Uh, La, we've got t- some texts coming in uh, and more to come. For, uh, Smithy, the point PJ was making about the super yachts was that they're highly unlikely to have COVID given they were at sea for 14 days. So effectively did their quarantining on the yacht. So... Why wouldn't you let them in as opposed to a person just flying in? It's Jason. Uh, I've heard that t- uh, argument before too. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, it's just, it is, it's a contentious issue. It's a, it's a little bit like rich man, poor man. It's a little bit about the privileged against the underprivileged. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's always going to be the thing with yachting because it's perceived uh, as being uh, you know, a fairly wealthy person's sport. But uh, at the top level, yeah, sure, sure it is. But... You know, there's some people with, with kids uh, who aren't that well-heeled that start with their kids in P-class and, and, and sailing clubs around the country who, who start from ground zero in that regard. And, that, and, you know, they have to skimp and save to provide equipment, etc. So it's, it's only at the top end that the argument seems to be coming about. And it's from those P-class sailors that we get our future Olympians. So, uh, yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. I love your point of view. And I keep them coming in, 88.33. 0800-150-811. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, it is. Uh, 9.49 here on SENZ. I stand corrected on that uh, MPC draw as well. Uh, Auckland don't have a shield challenge against Hawke's Bay scheduled. Uh, they actually def- they play Auckland, uh, Hawke's Bay Auckland at Eden Park, uh, Oh, well, it's not to all Sunday, the 3rd of October, so it's a home game. But they may, have, of course, if uh, Hawks Bay, dare I say it, lose the Ranfurly Shield, have uh, another challenge somewhere 
along the way. Interesting, eh? Roger, two of us, a sheikh, everyone else around the world was saying 12, 12, 12, and uh, maybe 14 uh, when, when it happens, JD. Yeah, it's the right way to go, I reckon, Smithy. Way easier to learn or relearn the game of rugby on the wing uh, than in the midfield. I mean, 12, you've got so many uh, things that you're ne- you need to do to be a good 12. You need a good kicking game. You need to be a good voice for your first five uh, to know where the space is. You need to be a bit of a general. So uh, a guy who we've just been told uh, tried to play the ball at training, probably the best that he goes out in the wing, learns the game there for a wee while and then moves his way into the midfield. I mean, he's got a lot of time, Smithy, to the next World Cup to, to get into that midfield, so I think it's the right call so far. Well, it didn't work with Benji, did it, to be fair? Uh, you know, Benji Marshall was probably the last high-profile one that had a ghost. Uh, Sonny Bill Williams, of course, has come and gone, and you know he was very, very successful uh, in that midfield role, it has to be uh, added. Um, but it just it didn't work when they tried to rush Benji Marshall into the situation. That didn't quite gel the way. Uh, they wanted to do, and of course he's uh, turned around and gone back to league. Uh, yeah, interesting. I, I look forward to uh, the Bunnings Cup. It changes every year. Bunnings this time around. Uh, Tasman, you're a Tasman boy. Uh, what do you reckon? They've got Auckland second, I think. Yeah, fins up. Uh, Smithy going for three in a row, um, which is just amazing from where Tasman were a decade ago. But now we're too good. Uh, now we've got seven All Blacks. So we've got to play a campaign without David Havili. We've got to play a campaign without Will Jordan. You know, guys who have been massive uh, for the for the team over the last few years, so might be a bit light in the back line, but Tom Marshall's come back from overseas, so looking forward to him getting reintroduced to New Zealand rugby. What about Hawks Bay, Smithy? You're up with the big boys. You, uh, are you going to be able to stay up? Are you going to be able to hold on to the shield? Otago week two? I think solid is the best way to describe. They'll be tough to beat at McLean Park. They always are. They've lost to Falao Fokotava, of course, which was a massive loss. Probably one of the players of the NPC last year. Absolute standout with Ash Dixon week after week. So they've got Ash back as the, the leader. And he is uh, superb in, in that role. And he tends to gel them together very nicely. Uh, you know, they've got uh, Hurricane strength there with uh, uh, Gareth Evans and, and Fl- Devin Flanders. Uh, then you, you turn around and, you you know, you've got uh, Gareth's brother Bryn back from the Highlanders uh, into the Hawke's Bay ranks there. Um, so they've done, done okay, they're sweating a little bit on Brendan O'Connor, he has had some Achilles problems, so I'm hoping that there's, and then there's uh, that Hastings boy side connection, another year older, another year wiser, um, with McClutchy and, you know, Daddy Taloa, those guys that have had some interesting times, uh, and just another year to get things together properly, so uh, yeah, looking forward to it, absolutely looking forward to it. Uh, what about the multi? How about the multi yesterday, folks? Did you get on? Did you get on? I've got another good one today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold it. Know when to fold it. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. That's 9.58, so it's multi-time. Head to the tab.co.nz to get amongst the multi, but gamble responsibly. If you were with you yesterday, you gambled successfully. Mexico and Brazil, draw after 90 minutes, $3.30. France to beat Italy in Olympic men's basketball. They struggled for a while. Italy were in front, but France overpowered them to win it at $1.23. And we got a little bit lucky here, but we'll take the luck along the way. Jack Sock uh, beat Yoshihito Nishioka uh, because he walked off the court after one game. 
the Japanese player, so it was actually a walkover, which means a successful result in anyone's language. That was $6.94. Get on that, $6.94. So today, here we go. Uh, the Chinese women's basketball team to beat Serbia, that's a buck forty-eight, and the Japanese women's basketball team to beat Belgium at home, of course, so we had $1.65. Into, and here we go, into, this is the swinger here, the actress, the winner, the actress to finish in the first three, race one at Cambridge today. And that is at two bucks. Return four eighty eight. Pretty damn pretty damn confident about yet that yep, the actress ridden by Craig Grills. I think that's a real chance to run in the first three. And what is a fairly average field. But a good return. Four eighty eight. Great. Absolutely great to be a winner. And I think my ratio is up to about 25% now. That's not too bad. Won't make the news, but other stuff will. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Ten oh three here on SENZ. Uh, good morning to you wherever you are listening around the country. Maybe you're listening on our app uh, across the Tasman as well. Uh, thanks for joining in if you are. Uh, Spark Arena, 3.30pm this Sunday. That's when the ANZ Championship reaches its grand finale. Uh, and hosting that final will be the Northern Mystics. They uh, achieved that right uh, by finishing top. And joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is the head coach, uh, Helene Wilson. Uh, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, a uh, really nervous time for you, putting it all together for the big occasion. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, very nervous but exciting week, but we're really looking forward to the opportunity to go for our first grand final, so it's really cool. Uh, Helene, as I said, you, you achieved this out of right, so you must have been relatively happy with with the bulk of the season and, and the way you, perhaps you finished in your last game or two. How did you feel about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that have been really exciting for us this season is that when we've when we've faltered, we've learnt from it, and that's been really good to get the wins under the belt after the learnings that come from close losses. And I think we finished the season really, really well, um, having a strong game against the, against the Tactics, who we're going to meet in the grand final, which is really exciting for us. Uh, Helene, sometimes coaches will say a, a buy is not a great thing because they like to be you know, heading towards a playoff or a, or a grand final situation. They like to be game ready. Uh, how have you treated mm. uh, basically a fortnight off? Yeah, we've we've continued um, status quo with our training program a normal week and we were able to put a, a game together with some New Zealand men and some other ANZ players. So we've been really fortunate to still get a game under our belt on Sunday, uh, just been to mimic the grand final. So fingers crossed that will prepare us just as well as if we had played in the elimination final, this is such a great matchup. This, uh, if I look back on the on the rounds that you played, of course, you played three in the round robin phase, three full rounds, uh, 53-52. Uh, you won at home. You lost 64-63 away, and then you turned around and, and beat them again in game three, 63-59. I'm not sure you get too much psychological advantage out of margins like that. It's been so <laughs> tight between you. Yeah, I think it has, and I think um, Mystics and Tactics are a great matchup just because of the the matchups, individual matchups across the court, which is really exciting. But I think what is going to be key for us is how we start the match and need to start with a um, 
composure really and scoring off our own centre passes. But we were really, really happy that in the last game that we played tactics, we managed to get all 12 players in our squad out on the court. So when you know you can pick from whatever player you need as a coach in the grand final and know that they can go out and they've practiced against your opposition, um, that gives you confidence to have a few tricks up your sleeve, hopefully, if required. Key players for you to watch in terms of the tactics. Who are the danger players you have to basically try and shut down? Yeah, I think um, you can't go past the sort of Ferns defence combination in the circle of Karen Berger and Jane Watson. They're a quality unit and um, are able to get intercepts and turnover balls. So we're looking for real accuracy down our take end and you know, getting the ball to our shooter, Grace Wiki, um, with precision is really important. I think the speed in the midcourt, uh, the, the duel between Kimiora Poi and Taylor Earl will be fun to watch because they both have skill sets that um, yeah, are very similar and I think that will be a great match-up. And then what can our defence end do on their shooting end? We're both, I would say, um, strong attacking shooting duos in our shooting circle and um, our defence, Salou Fitzpatrick, our captain, and our young defender in Kate Burley, who's incredibly athletic, will have to be on our game to get ball off them and upset their shooting rhythm down their end as well. So you're fully fit uh, going into the weekend, uh, everyone available and 100%? Yeah, everyone's available. Um, at this time of year, you always have your managing little niggles, um, at, you know, mm. as athletes push themselves right to the edge, but everyone's fully fit and able to take the court, um, which is really exciting. And I think that's been key to our success this year as well, is that we've had our squad available to us for the majority of the year. Grace Wiki has been outstanding for you, uh, inspirational. Uh, shooting percentage uh, of uh, nigh on 90%, which is, is pretty cool, considering she's put mm -hmm. up 900 mm -hmm. shots. That's an incredible volume of work. But it also, to me, indicates some good service from the midcourt. Yeah, and that's something I think we've worked really hard on this year. Grace is, um, you know, she's tall, she can jump, she's got massive hands and long arms, so she's actually got a, a really big range to be able to catch the ball, but um, you have to be able to get the ball to her in the right place because she often has two defenders defending her. So I think um, Kudos needs to go to Peter Toyava and Taylor Earl for the, the ball service that they've been getting her and. We've worked really hard on ensuring we get more opportunity to get her the ball um, right throughout the court. And I think um, that hard work's really paying off because Grace's num shooting numbers are massive. So it's really exciting for us. You mentioned just briefly before your, your captain, Sulu Fitzpatrick. Uh, she's grown throughout the season and particularly in terms of her leadership uh, to get you mm. to this point. What, what, are her, uh, what are her qualities? Look, she's an exceptional leader, um, just an all-round good person. So I think every leader needs great character, and she's definitely got that. But one thing I think that she has is, is she's able to influence others, and she does that, what I would like to call compassionate accountability. She she shows a lot, a lot of love and care for, for her people that she serves, but she also holds them accountable to the standard required to win. And Having won a grand final with the Pulse before when she played for the Pulse, she actually knows what it takes to win. And I think when 
when she talks to her team about what she expects out of them, they do listen. And, um, you know, as a coach, uh, that partnership of captain-coach is incredibly important and I think it's been a great team effort and I can leverage off her influence with the team, which is really, really awesome. It's interesting uh, that your grand final coincides with the Olympics because uh, I'm not sure most teams really do need to get motivated to play in a grand final, particularly when it's an opportunity of doing something really special for the first time. But... There are so many examples of what we've seen from our Olympic team in particular mm. uh, as a coach that you, you could refer to. I mean, what's been for you as watching the Olympics uh, so far, Helene? What, what's been the highlight for you? Oh, well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching the women's sevens uh, win. You know, being a team sport and Salu's younger sister is in that team as well. As a team, we followed that mm. really closely and and I actually used to work with the Black Fern Sevens in the last Rio campaign, so it was really great to see them um, succeed. But, you know, to cope with the pressure when you when you come into something and you're the favourite or you're the minor premiers or you come in with as gold medal favourites like the Black Ferns, being able to step up in those key moments and seeing them do that in more than one game um, was just really, really inspiring and and we've talked about those moments. Um, we talk about the moments of truth where you've got to stand up as an athlete and you've got to own that you've made the mistake or you've got to own it and nail it and, and have the um, success that comes from it. And and if you do those things in those moments, um, whether it's a good or a bad outcome and your team's got your back, you know that you can get through it as a collective and a group. And I think that's what we've, we've seen really strongly with the Black Black Ferns um, in the Olympics, but some of the individual uh, performances as well. I've really enjoyed watching some of the outside athletes, um, like watching the diving. Um, you know, when you d- you don't see a lot of divers and Dylan Schmidt on the trampoline, you know, the one-off athletes that just go out there and give it their all, and I think they do us so proud, yeah. Talking to uh, Helene Wilson, who is the head coach of the Northern Mystics Grand Final uh, this weekend at Spark Arena. Of course, you'll have fans. Uh, all these athletes have been competing at their peak for the greatest prize without any atmosphere. So you'll be looking forward to some pretty special stuff at Spark Arena on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, we absolutely will. For some of our players, it'll be the first time playing in Spark Arena, which is really exciting. Um, being able to fill, fill up a stadium that's so so big and have a great atmosphere is, is really exciting. And we feel like... We were lucky to play against the Tactics down in Horncastle in our last game with 5,000 mm. fans down there and a big arena as well. So hopefully that's prepared us well for what, what's to come in the grand final. Uh, Helene, look, there's so many new sports being brought in, into the Olympics. Uh, you look at skateboarding, you look at all, all sorts of things. They'll probably have knuckle bones next. But I, I just wonder <laughs> whether it would be possible at some point uh, for... You know, for netball to be seriously uh, regarded as a possible Olympic sport, in your mind, could it be? Is it global enough? I understand maybe they're even looking at it right now for Brisbane in 2032. Is it global enough for you? Yeah, well, I think um, it's definitely global in the fact that all the Commonwealth countries play it, and there's a lot of um, you know countries that 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 do give it a go. Um, and I think it comes down to the competitive nature of of the sport, um, but definitely with the emergence of some of the um, 
leagues around the world with Vitality League in England and the Suncorp in Australia and our ANZ in New Zealand, there's a lot more opportunities for players around the world to play top-level netball, which is um, increasing the level of the game across the world. So obviously as a netty fan, we would love to see it in the Olympics and, and have that opportunity to play. So um, Brisbane looks like a great opportunity one day to hopefully get it in there. Wouldn't that just be fantastic? Hey, what has been fantastic, Helene, is chatting to you, so getting some insight into this grand final this weekend uh, and some uh, overview on other stuff as well. You're quite obviously quite heavily involved in the motivation and preparation of sports teams. So I just hope that your mystics uh, are on song for you this uh, Sunday afternoon. 3.30, folks, uh, if you haven't got tickets, uh, please. It's a big occasion and it will be a fantastic atmosphere uh, between two of the, uh, I think, uh, the most deserving sides. Hey, good luck. Good luck, Helene. I, I, I hope maybe we, next week at some stage we might catch up you, with you as the reigning champion. That would be brilliant. Yeah, oh, thanks very much. That would definitely be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Hey, enjoy. Enjoy the occasion. Uh, you fully deserve to be there. Thanks so much for your time this morning. 10.14 here uh, on SCNZ. Lovely lady. Absolutely lovely lady. John, you might have a bit of a a scoop for us, have you? Uh, have we got any some breaking news that I just come through? Yes. yes, Smithy. Trudy just had it in her news, but we'll go a bit deeper because I know how much you love the Australian cricket team. And there is a T20 World Cup on the horizon. Australia have lost to Bangladesh. Uh, in Bangladesh, in Dakar, Bangladesh making 131 for seven. Australia all out for 108 from their 20 overs. So the woes of the Australian cricket team continue, Smithy. Is that upsetting? Well, it's not a, a complete and utter surprise. To win in Dakar is pretty damn hard. Uh, um, you know, it really is hard. Uh, you know, everything's against you. It's hot. Uh, it's spinning wickets. They'll have known that, though. They'll have known the conditions going there. So it's not a great surprise that you lose the odd one. I'd be very, very surprised if they lost the series. Uh, and then they would be ructions within the camp uh, but no not not a good not a good look not a good loss um yeah um yeah they'll be i'll be a bit peeved about it the only f downside of it is that tim payne's not part of that outfit would have been great if he was captain and they lost to bangladesh i could say but i never would deem it uh, worthy of them to have to play bangladesh at test cricket for some reason uh 10 16 here on SENZ panel coming up very shortly uh we've got some high caliber guests this morning uh, don't go away. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.21 here on SENZ. Yes, it's panel time, so pearls of wisdom from a couple of gentlemen today, highly respected in the media, Andrew Gordy, News Hub journalist and presenter, and very celebrated uh, stuff journalist Mark Hinton. Mark uh, if I can start with you, uh, news coming through, which you've probably just picked up on, is uh, the Rugby League World Cup uh, is to be postponed uh, until 2022. With Australia out, New Zealand out, uh, that was always going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, yes, uh, we should be applauding Rugby League for making the most obvious decision in the history of obvious decisions. You know, having a, having a World Cup in a sport that essentially... It, really has only about four or five nations that play it seriously and, 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 and two of the leading ones not there, you know, just didn't make any sense. You know, it's like playing cricket without a bat or rugby without a ball. You know, you, you need New Zealand and Australia 
to, at the World Cup. So sensible decision, predictable decision, but you don't always get that in the 13-man code. So well done. They got this one right. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Okay, Andrew Gordy, that means you and uh, wife Kate will have to cancel your trip to the UK later this year to follow the Kiwis. That'll be disappointing. Hugely disappointing, Smithy. Uh, I've, I've just been consoling Kate for the last 10 minutes. She's absolutely uh, distraught. But, you know, this is, um, like, like Mark said, it's the only logical decision to make. You can't have a rugby, a rugby league World Cup without New Zealand and Australia. I suppose the thing, uh, Smithy, that I'm really interested in here is the, the power play that uh, is perceived to have kind of unfolded here with, uh, you know, New Zealand and Australia deciding to pull out and how that was received by the powers that be over in over in the UK and the organising committee, uh, they talked a big game in the in the wake of that decision. And I, it actually, in, in a weird way, it wouldn't have surprised me if they decided to plough ahead, um, given the, the politics, I suppose, that, that is uh, going on behind the scenes there. But, you know, like we say, they've, they've made the only logical decision that could be made. It, it simply wouldn't be a rugby league World Cup without those two nations. So, no, the right, the right uh, decision to be made for sure. Good. Uh, you're in the right place at the moment because Auckland's uh, going to be the hotbed of uh, sport outside the Olympics coming up. We've got, uh, of course, the netball final. Uh, we've got uh, the MPC kicking up uh, at Eden Park as well. But the, the double header was was that a dollar one in shortening that there'd be a double header All Blacks Wallabies at Eden Park? You definitely would have wanted uh, to yeah. include that in your uh, in your multi for sure. That's, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, and it's the only logical logical decision to reach again. Um, so yeah, I mean, great for great for Auckland. I, I, yeah, I saw a lot of uh, whinging Wellingtonians uh, on social media yesterday about this, but I'm not quite sure what they they uh, wanted the powers that be to do because um, I think there's Diavana, isn't there, on it on it uh, on it the Cakedon? So uh, that was very uh, on brand, I thought, for the capital to uh, prioritise a, a craft beer festival ahead of the All Blacks. <laughs> yeah, Smithy, I yeah, think Wellingtonians should drown should drown their sorrow, shouldn't they, at, the, uh, at their own event, uh, which clearly took priority, Beavana. Um, yeah, very predictable because at the end of the day, New Zealand rugby at the moment is, as we've discussed previously with sponsorship signings and various things, they're in the business of maximising uh, their revenue. You know, they really have to. Uh, they're, in, they're facing the very real prospect of only having two internationals at uh, at home in this uh, upcoming period when they were banking on six. So that's a massive revenue loss. Big hit to the coffers. So what do you do? What's better than filling Eden Park once and with all those corporate boxes? Doing it twice. And you get hold of Ineos as well, Mark. That helps. <laughs> Absolutely. I see they've uh, unveiled their new All Blacks jersey today, which is, I guess, um, you could term that... Uh, um, kind of a, a, a little bit of balancing the ledger it's made from, well, the replica jersey is going to be made from recycled plastic uh, taken out of the world's beaches. So um, I guess as they take with one hand by being sponsored by a petrochemical giant that's polluting the planet, they give with the other by uh, by having sustainable replica jerseys. So, so a, 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 a bit of a tick for New Zealand rugby there. Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I feel... A little bit for Mark Robinson in these days because uh, he's uh, probably uh, got one of the most under fire sports jobs in the country, if not the one, Mark. And, uh, you know, you can't, it's one of those ones. I've got the Silver Lake thing going on, the Forsyth Bar possibility, pressure from all different angles. Uh, I, I think he just wants to get the All Blacks on the park, and thank God it's at Eden Park as well. Absolutely. So, the, I mean, you think about it, Mark. 
he's come into Steve Q's boots, you know, um, the, the guy, you know, did the job, seemed like forever, you know, and it really did, um, you know, r- ruled the roost, you know, not just in New Zealand, but around the international uh, board tables in many respects. So it was a tough, always going to be a tough act to follow, and he steps in and, and right into COVID and, and just basically damage, you know, damage limitation mode from minute one, had to, you know, take a big chunk of the staff off. So it has been a tough, it has been a tough road for uh, for Mark Robinson to hoe, and, and and largely still successful. The main thing is he's keeping he's keeping the players we need still in New Zealand, and and he's just got to find a way to do that. Yeah, absolutely, and that the I think it's a daily proposition to be fair to trying to handle that. Uh, Andrew Gordy is the favourite female in your house, and I say this here with a little bit of trepidation because I I know Kate pretty well. Um, is the famous, fe- most famous and popular female in your house right now, Lisa Carrington? Is in mine, I tell you. Yeah, I, and I think that's uh, something you could apply to most households right across the country. I mean, oh, how can you not be impressed by what she did yesterday? You know, she she came out yesterday and won won four races, collected two gold medals, Olympic records in the process. She is just the definition of dominance, this woman, isn't she? She is so so impressive um just and especially i think when you reflect on there's a lot of talk at the moment in this in this world i suppose off the back of simone biles you know people who come into these high performance athletes who come into events like the olympic games and they're under the pressure of expectation that they're going to simply turn up and deliver gold medals and that pressure obviously told on on someone like simone biles who's at the very top of her game but look at someone like Lisa Carrington. She has those very same expectations on her going into Olympic Games. And she is just, she just performs like a machine. It's just so impressive. And yeah, I... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I just can't say enough about her. She's she's done incredibly well, and uh, I think New Zealand can be very proud of her for sure. You know, the, the, the term, uh, the modern vernacular, Mark, these days is, is GOAT, uh, greatest of all time. We say it in the nicest possible way because um, that is just we refer to male and female sporting people who we believe are in that particular bracket. Uh, seriously, um, seriously, uh, Lisa Carrington for me is knocking down that door. Oh, absolutely. Um, no doubt about it. I mean, it's going to take a lot to unseat Peter Snell for me because he was the forerunner of, of, of greatness, really, at the Olympic level and did it over multi, you know, over a couple of Olympics and just owned the stage and, and I think set the, sta- you know, set, set the path for others to follow. So for me, Peter Snell is always going to be the greatest of all time, but Lisa Carrington is, is, is putting a body of work together. And, and this is the thing, Smithy, she's still doing it. She's probably going to go to Paris and add more medals and further this legacy of hers. So, you know, we better be careful we don't sort of, you know, write her story now because, you know, there's chapters still to be added. Um, it's, it's just remarkable. I, I didn't think we'd get a, a stronger, 
you know, this type of story that Hamish Bond, um, the dominance he had winning back-to-back golds in that pair and then switching to the eight and winning another gold, that is that was and is something pretty special. And I thought that we, you know, we could almost rest on that as our story of the Olympics. But here comes Lisa Carrington, multiple golds already, more to come hopefully. Um, and the program she's taken on board and as Andrew touched on, the mental strength she has. And this Mahomes she does it with. I mean, she ticks all the boxes. She really is a, a super, super athlete and is definitely, definitely Smithy, the modern goat. Let's say that, the modern goat. Yeah. Oh, I totally, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I mean, uh, fellas, stay with us, please. We've got more to talk about after the news with uh, Trudy. But one of the great endearing sights I saw yesterday after she won her first gold, there she was standing under an umbrella, eating and drinking like, you know, she was just having coffee with friends. It was, it was quite staggering. She is something really, really special. News time with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.33, panel part two here, and uh, today we've been joined by Andrew Gordy, of course, a News Hub journalist and presenter, and uh, Mark Hinton, celebrated stuff journalist on a number of uh, topics. Uh, Gord's uh, interesting, um, and a, a little bit uh, disappointing, I say, to have to talk about these sorts of things, but Simone Biles, of course, coming back yesterday to finish third on the beam, which was uh, great, considering we, everyone thought she was sort of out of the Olympics. Naomi Osaka, we know the story about Naomi Osaka, and now... On a, a local basis, uh, and this is something we, we can reflect on as well because it's hit New Zealand, uh, Amelia Kerr, who is probably the most talented all-white we've had in donkey's years, uh, withdrawing from the tour to the UK and citing personal reasons and mental reasons as well as part of that. Yeah, I must admit I was, I was a little bit surprised uh, to, to wake up to this news this morning. But I suppose the, the really interesting part for me is how these, these sorts of decisions now, the language around them has completely changed, hasn't it? Previously, it was sort of like a, like a shock, um, you know, and I'm talking a few years ago now, when these sorts of uh, things would start happening, athletes pulling out of tours, uh, citing mental health reasons, you know, people would sort of be like, well, well what's wrong with them sort of thing. Now, it's, the language around it is completely different. These decisions are being celebrated now, and, and we're, we're saying... Good on, good on athlete X and for putting their, their prioritising their own mental health and putting themselves first, um, which I think is a positive step forward. What's re- the other really interesting part for me is that we're starting to see an awful lot more of this now, aren't we? It's almost like the floodgates have opened. We obviously had Ben Stokes as well, uh, very, very similar situation pulling out um, of the England tour as well. And I suppose the thing for me, Smithy, is, is what's, what's behind this for Amelia Kerr? Like, is this a COVID-related thing, or, or is this something that perhaps would have happened uh, regardless of that situation? And, and perhaps, you know, the, the impact of, of COVID and how, how that's affecting people's mental health. Like, may, maybe we should just start expecting that almost whenever a, a, a tour is announced, we're, we're probably going to have examples like this. And, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we've got uh, the All Blacks coming up on an end-of-year tour. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised if one or two All Blacks say, you know what, this, this isn't for me, I'm, I'm not ready for this, and and I'm going to put myself first ahead of a, a black jersey. Yeah, I, I think it's a really valid and topical thing to talk about and, and discuss. For me, Mark, uh, we've seen signs of this too. I mean, you, if you go back, and you're, you know, you're a historian as, as, as well as part of your role, if you go back, uh, let's go back uh, 10, 15 years, you would never ever see uh, a leading New Zealand or a leading sportsman of any nature, a male sportsman, 
uh, pulling out of a, of a test match or a tour or anything like that or coming home early on the basis that his, his wife was about to have a baby. Uh, that took uh, a, a few people a, a bit of getting used to. Uh, this is just another continuance, I, I think, of, of the social side of sport uh, that we just, as journalists, as fans, etc., uh, we just have to get used to. Yeah, I think you make a very, very valid point there, Smithy. The, um, the, the, you know, the family comes first type thing um, was initially a shock to us, and now it's become so much part of the norm. We're actually surprised when, when it doesn't happen, and, and I think the mental health story is, is going to go down a similar line. I think Andrew's right to say this is just the tip of the iceberg. We are going to see this more and more. And, and, and rightfully so, you know, people need to take care of themselves. We we talked a bit about it last week. Um, you know, if Amelia needs this time out, uh, she needs to take it. And, and, and the support she's getting, as Andrew says, the language now is very positive around this. Um, you know, everyone's behind her. Um, and, and even, you know, Sophie Devine notes, you know, it's important we talk openly about this because, you know, it can get tough in that, in that environment. And, and, you know, it's what we're doing now. I mean, I think the more we talk about it, the more normal it becomes, the more normal athletes um, feel like they, they can step forward. But there is another side to the coin, Smithy, and, you know, you touched on it in terms of things we didn't see. We remember when Sean Fitzpatrick played all those tests as all-black hooker, and, and his understudy never, in the days before, you know, there was substitutions were able to be made. Well, he nearly... Fitzy's understudy never, never got a look in. There was, um, I think Warren Gatlin was his understudy for at least a few years. He never mm. got a, to play a test match because Fitzy never left the field. He never, his attitude was, I never want to give someone else a chance to take my jersey. And that's yep. long been an all-black credence. You know, you don't give up your jersey because someone else can come in and, um, you know, you lose an element of control, I guess. And these athletes, in making these decisions, need to understand that in stepping aside and taking the time they need to get themselves right, they're also seeding their position in a team and do risk not being able to get back. Uh, I'm sure that's a small thing for them because they need to get themselves right, but there's two sides to the coin and, and everything. If I can just add, add to that, seconds, though, like, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't disagree. Yeah, sorry, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying there, Mark, but, but it would be the same if, if, let's say, as an athlete, you suffered a, a, a knee injury and you're out of the game for six months. Uh, while you're out, someone else might come in and perform to such a level that you don't get your spot back either. And I think that that's, that's, it's changing the mentality around how we, how we view mental health. It, it's like an injury, isn't it? And if you can't play, you can't play. And, that, and, and, and like I say, it's like a knee injury or a concussion in these days. If you've got, got a concussion, you're simply not playing and you're told you're not playing. And, yeah, the same thing could happen. Someone else could come in uh, while you're out of the game and perform to such a level that you don't get your spot back. And it's just changing how we, how we, how we see that, how we view that, that decision, I suppose, to, for someone to say, I am not in this state to play, physically, mentally, or, or whatever. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's something that could happen. But that, that whole idea that it's, it's on them, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure that that's how, how we should view that type of thing. It should be, a mental health should be viewed as like a physical injury. If you can't play, you can't play. If things happen while you're out of the game, fine, but that's, that's just part of it, I think. Yeah, yeah it's sensitive. I, yeah, it's no, really sensitive. I agree. Okay, just finally, Leeds, before you go, uh, Mark, uh, you're, I'm putting you on the spot here, your favourite all-black uh, all moment, your favourite Olymp- Olympic moment to this point. 
well, I'm tempted to say John Walsh overturning his two no throws last night. But um, uh, oh, for me, it's, it's Hamish Bond winning that eight gold. I, I love the unexpected, not just Hamish Bond, that entire men's eight. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about Lisa and we talked about Emma Twig and everything. They, they were fantastic. But I love unexpected goals. So for me, it was that men's eight. I didn't expect that gold. I think they they came. It was the proverbial Kiwi dark horse kind of story. They mowed them down at the end. It was a bit like Sullivan and Cohen's gold in London. I love that one. It's going to take a lot to to to, to beat that one for me. But I've also loved the dominance of Lisa Carrington. Gords. Oh, look, I mean, don't, please don't take this as me being unpatriotic because I've loved every single medal that's been won by by a New Zealand athlete at these games. But I've, I've got to say my favourite moment of the games was actually the, the high jump, the end of the high jump competition with the two athletes basically learning that they'd both won a gold medal. And just the reaction that came after that, like everything about the Olympics so often is about, about being the best and winning. And just I think in that moment, they, it was such a unique moment that they both realised we've both won here. And such a, yeah, like mm. I say, such a unique a unique moment, I suppose, that two athletes can both have the same feelings and, and share that. I thought that was, um, it made a great, great TV. Um, and and that's, that, that's sort of what's been the highlight, I suppose, for, of these games for me, is just seeing those moments where you just, you just uh, re- that really encapsulate, I suppose, what the Olympics is all about. And that, for me, was one of them. Thanks very much. Uh, Andrew Gordy there and uh, Mark Hinton. They were the panel today. Uh, fantastic uh, insights there too on a couple of uh, quite sensitive issues. I've uh, got some text to read out very shortly, but we want more. 8833. Uh, you might want to make a call on uh, one of those issues you've just heard about. 0800 150 811 is the phone number. <laughs> oh, I'd, be, I'd be still claiming them. I'd be still claiming them. She's absolutely fantastic. Brian, what's on your mind this morning? Good on you, man. Hey, um, I was just wondering if some of the mental health problems arising in sport today has something to do with, like, 25 years ago, that in schools they decided not to score the games, so there were no winners or losers, there were no pressure, and and uh, and so when now that they're older, they they can't cope with having to deal that deal with that because they've never had to they've never had to deal with winning or losing before, so. Uh, yeah, you know, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, Brian, thanks very much for calling because I had got some thoughts on this. I'm a big a fan uh, of keeping the score. I'll be perfectly honest with you. And, you know, uh, I, I don't see the problem with that. I, I don't see the problem with trying to win something um, because, you know, you, in life you have win, winning performances, you have losing performances. It's, it's not such a big deal. And I noticed that a number of sporting organisations around the country don't keep sp- score at a young age. Uh, is it the Roller Mills that was canned? The oldest sporting contest in New Zealand, or the oldest sporting trophy for rugby outside the Ramfurly Shield, was canned um, because of was it because of the elite na- nature of it, and it put too much pressure on kids. Uh, we had at Sky uh, an issue with secondary school rugby, putting it too much of it on and, and creating too much pressure on players to perform on TV. Uh, players love being on TV. They absolutely love being on TV. And, and it's a great opportunity in a sport like rugby as a pathway to get recognised. I don't see the issue with that. Uh, if, we're gonna, if we're going to uh, get that sensitive about kids uh, having to worry about performing and, and, and doing well and winning and losing and succeeding and failing, if, if that is such a sensitive issue in our lifetime, why have we got exams? 
because I tell you what, at school, because if nothing else, if nothing else puts pressure on, on a kid at school, is to have to exceed, succeed at exams and not being left behind on a certain year while his mates or her mates go forward a year. That, to me, uh, is, as, is as much pressure as any game of sport on a Saturday, which you might win or you might lose, you might score a goal, you might score a try, you might score 50 or 100. Hell, what's wrong with that? Water New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. It's 10.55 here on SENZ and uh, courtesy of loveracing.nz. Uh, Louis Herman Watt is in studio this morning. He got up close and personal with some of our equine stars yesterday. At Ellerslie, and uh, what was your your best uh, your best trial of the day, Louis? I and Smithy, it's a privilege to be here with you again. I loved it. I love trial days because you get just good industry people milling around. The jockeys all quite relaxed, and the trainers like it's always such a good place just to go and rub shoulders. And I had a sausage roll. I tried to put the sauce on the sausage roll, and the thing broke. And I was wearing my lovely Cambridge stud uh, puffer vest, and it the sauce went backwards all out of it. And and now the the vest is all sticky, but. Um, that's the cost of admission, I guess. Um, oh, now, the one that I loved, the one, the trial that I absolutely loved was Imperatrez. Imperatrez is this three-year-old filly now, and two-year-old on two as a two-year-old, she bet the boys up sort of state, no, not sort of state, or it might have been Sneaky Shark, I think it was on New Year's Day at Ellerslie, and she bolted in about fourteen dollars, and she was lovely that day. And I know they they have a big opinion of her. They bought her in Australia. I think she's an I'm invincible filly off the top of my head. She trialed up a storm. She got to the outside, and she just really let down. So she'll go to the Gold Trail Stakes, Gold Trail Stakes down your way, and then they'll see whether they take her to Australia. On Trivia was another one, Smithy. Now, this horse is fast, and we love fast horses. She just gets to the front and loves to bowl along. So it was a great day out there, actually. Uh, Louis, one of the things I've, I've noticed uh, on the website overnight that I catch up with, uh, racing.com, uh, actually, is also a good uh, website for catching up uh, with things, particularly overseas. Overseas entries down for the Melbourne Spring Carnival. In fact, Aidan O'Brien, who sent up to 20 horses in the last two years to campaign for the big prizes, no entries for the Cup. None. Yeah. It, it, it's um it's pretty concerning for racing Victoria, isn't it? So they put in a lot of these they put in a lot of these practices about animal welfare because uh, remember last year we had a, another another thing Anthony Van Dyke another horse perish and they no one wants that but they've made these big processes for screening these horses have to get this incredibly complex test before they can run and a lot of the Northern Hemisphere trainers are just saying it's not worth it they can't be bothered which means. Yes, the cup standard might be lower, but horses like Bowden, New Zealand horses, the chosen one, uh, they, they're going to have a red-hot chance this year because the field quality will be lower. The prize money stays the same. The prestige stays the same. So there could be a window for some of those New Zealand horses in there, Smithy. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. But it's all one-way traffic for Carrington. Almost a boat length clear. Wham! What a finish! No praises too high. Three gold medals. And Lisa Carrington is a Kiwi canoeing superstar. 
history being made. Three gold medals in the same event in 38 seconds. Wow. It's 11.04 here on SENZ, and how lucky have we been today in terms of commentary? PJ Montgomery just after 9 o'clock uh, with some of the most magical calls that you can imagine, and particularly in yachting. Those calls will stay for, with us forever, as will the calls from this man, John Macbeth, who joins us now. Of course, he's had a history of Olympic Games commentary, uh, and particularly in the pool, uh, Anthony Moss, Daniel Lotus, some of the great ones. Good morning to you, John. Uh, just before we start on uh, Lisa Carrington and, and what you called yesterday, what you saw yesterday, what has uh, thus far been your favourite moment of commentary at the Olympics? Oh, sorry, John's gone. There you go. Uh, that happens to us at least once a day. It was such a good intro as well. I'm not sure I can back it up with another one. Uh, so, yeah, let's, uh, we need to get him back as, as soon as possible. Um, and uh, John Macbeth, of course, he, he might even be talking into his phone without knowing that we're not there. That would be yeah, almost as embarrassing as I'm, uh, I'm having to fill time to get him back. Uh, yeah, so uh, honestly, uh, as I rem remember John Macbeth, he's been um, a career broadcaster. We talked about Grant Nisbet yesterday, but uh, John Macbeth obviously has been really, really uh, important uh, to our cause over the years, and uh, Anthony Moss, an affinity with uh, those ones uh, in the pool, uh, so yeah, and calling calling those and and for I, I think from a commentator's point of view, um, that's your medal. That, that's that's what you get most out of it. Your medal is, is the commentators and being there, Johnny on the spot at the right time when something absolutely special is about to happen, and you have the privilege uh, to be able to call it. Just a, a few problems with our phone lines. We've had we've had uh, issues with our phone lines, uh, particularly uh, across um, to uh, Japan, but. Uh, Hopefully, we're um, just getting word through. Uh, John Macbeth, good morning to you. <laughs> good morning, Ian. How are you? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good like, mate. I, you just know at the moment I had to go through there and, and fill while we, uh, we got you back. Uh, John, I was asking, uh, you, you've been such an icon in terms of Olympic commentary in particular, rugby as well, some of the ma most magic moments with the black jersey. But uh, Anthony Moss, uh, Daniel Loder, those great moments uh, in the pool that, that you were able to call. What's been your favourite Olympic moment calling? Oh, without doubt, I think the, the loader, um, because I, I had the feeling that, you know, that was a, a, a first. Um, of course, he went on to score two gold medals over there in Atlanta, mm -hmm. but I could never see it happening again. And we've gone through 25 years, and all of a sudden, you know, this year I thought, well, perhaps I was wrong in my judgment. Perhaps we will get another gold medalist because there's no doubt that Lewis Clearbird has that ability. Um, and it was it was really disappointing to see him fade in that final 50 metres of the 400 IM in Tokyo. Uh, uh, he had that ability. He had the ga the race you know, sort of in his, in his grasp. And you know, but you know what sports like Ian, um, things go wrong, and sometimes you just can't follow through. And you know, it just didn't work for him. But he's such a He's got such a great mental attitude and, and great approach to the sport that uh, we haven't heard the last of Lewis Clare. But, but going back to your question, yes, certainly um, the Daniel Loder uh, being there in Atlanta and watching that and seeing the reaction. But gosh, have you had a better day uh, of sport than with the canoeing yesterday with Lisa Carrington? Uh, you know, two superb gold medals along with Caitlin Regal and the K2500. Uh, a massive day for New Zealand sport, that. And... You know, I felt really cool to be able to, to call that, mate. That's, that was really great. Well, you know, 
Yeah, you know, uh, I'm just trying to explain to people as well. Uh, you know, that is our medal as commentators. We we like to be there when something very special happens, and not for the sake that it's our voice will go down on that tape forever, but it just feels like a you know something very very special to witness and to talk about, John. Uh, just this this girl is phenomenal, um, and she probably by the end of this campaign will be our greatest ever athlete. I would be thinking you have to if you judge it on medals. Uh, what is oh, it about her? What, yeah. what do you observe? What what do you observe about her, man? She's amazing. Well, uh, you know, I recall you know doing some canoeing some years ago, and and uh, when when Lisa had had actually got up and she'd won uh, her first gold medal, and and I asked exactly that question of some knowledgeable canoe people, and it, and it was just that that ability to train without stopping, you know, going the extra mile, given set routines and just going a stage further. She would be the most dedicated trainer of, of any sport in the country, I would say. And, you know, people within Canoe New Zealand, those who first spotted her and, and, and you know, and her coaches and, and, uh, and those who helped train her have just been overawed by her ability to soak up a whole lot of training. So she's got that great strength, uh, uh, physically, of course, but mentally, she is so sharp and so on top of it. And you know, Ian, too, that you don't just win it by yourself. It's not just Lisa Carrington who's done it. She's had the ability. And, and when, when the, all the uh, last-minute instructions have gone and she's out on the water, it's up to her, of course. But there's a big team around her of you know people helping with that mental side of things, the physios, the, uh, Gordon Walker, her coach, who she raves about and says without him, she would not have been there. So She's been quick to deflect her glory onto others who have helped. And there is always, with any sport, a whole group of people who help uh, our athletes get to the top. Yeah, you know, the thing about athletes uh, is the fact that they are, you know, when they get to this level, is they're tested and how they respond to testing. But uh, she puts the, the hardest examination on herself uh, with the program that she's outlined for herself and the turnaround yeah. time, John. That, I think I don't think we quite get our heads around that, even as commentators. No, and and I, I when I looked at the program and I heard you know her saying I've set myself a, a tough target, so she's had lots of time to prepare for that. Except that I never took into account really the fact that she would be going through a medal ceremony in between events too. Now that might be just you know it appears you walk up, you get your medals, listen to the anthem, and walk down again. But it's not just a five minute gig. It's a you know it's a half hour. By the time you you do your, your normal uh, post-race uh, routine, and then always you're thinking, ah, my next race is coming up in you know, an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it might be, but I've got to take 20 minutes out or so for the medal ceremony. And you can't say, look, I'm sorry, I don't want to stand up and get my gold medal, <laughs> even though you might think mm. to yourself, this is not helping me. I, I didn't take that into account uh, yesterday, but her whole day was sort of geared around preparing for that first race uh, preparing for the second one with uh, Caitlin Regal, then for the final, uh, in between that, the, the medal ceremony. So it was a big day. Uh, she handled it, and, and Caitlin Regal too, but Lisa Carrington just handled it all magnificently. And again, that goes back to preparation, doesn't it, within the team? Yeah, it does. Um, what I, I like about it, and, and I, get, I feel quite comfortable because I trust that you know, she's going to be amazing in every performance, and I don't know if I've got the right to do that, but I do. But I've been listening very closely to your commentary alongside Ben Fui, and it's as if the pair of you know, as soon as uh, she's put the first five strokes, and that black boat has just got its nose in front, 
It, it's almost yeah. a, a feeling of inevitability, and I don't know if we've got the right to do that. No, you, you, I don't think we have either, uh, except that if we did, she keeps proving us right, and she justifies the faith we've got on her. Uh, but, the, I mean, these were the, her two big events, I think, the K25 and the, and the K200. Uh, um, the K1200 is the one that she's won three successive gold medals in. Uh, Caitlin Regal is an outstanding athlete, and the combination of the two has proved to be the best in the world. So then she moves on to, um, today they've got the, the K1500, so... You know, another 300 metres on top of that 200 that she does so well. Uh, she's She could dominate that. She could get up and uh, win it. She would, um, I would imagine, and here we go, putting expectations on her, get a medal at least. And, and to get a medal in this would make her New Zealand's most successful Olympian, ahead of, ahead of Ian Ferguson, who, you know, another outstanding kayaker who won, uh, what, four golds and a silver medal. So mm. they've each got five Olympic medals. Um, so that could put her in there, and then she teams up with another uh, another pair to go into the K1, K4, 500. So you know she's got two more big races, and I would imagine that uh, they had a we know they had a just a very very minor sort of celebration last night, but the focus was quickly on to what happens today and the rest of the program, and that comes down to again that um, you know great supportive team she's got around her, or they've got around them. Uh, John, you've mes- um, mentioned the, the disappointment for you slightly uh, in terms of the swimming program, and we wonder what's ahead for swimming in terms of uh, games uh, events uh, with the talent we've got available and, and how it's nurtured along. Uh, what has, uh, outside of Lisa Carrington, um, what has taken your fancy? What, what have you liked about the the Olympic Games? Bearing in mind, this is so unique to the, the, so many of the games that you've yeah. been to because... There is no atmosphere, John. You know, there is no drive from the grandstands. Nothing. The, the applause you're hearing is coming from photographers, coaches, and and support staff. Um, and you know, looking, at, I was commentating last night on the shot put with with Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill, uh, and those guys, those those field athletes who often take second place. Uh, with regards to, well, they do because a, a track event starts and, and they have to stop and accommodate them. So often they're just sort of the second relation in, in an event of, tra- of track and field. Um, and they thrive on whatever uh, noise and support is generated from their performances within a, a packed grandstand. So it is very foreign to them. And I, I get the feeling that some are, are really just struggling a wee bit um, in the high jump, for example, where or the long jump or triple jump when you often see the athlete at the start of their run-up turn to the crowd and urge them to applaud. Well, they, some of them have still done it, but there's no one there to, to respond. It really is quite a sad situation. Um, but going back to what New Zealand, you know, the New Zealand uh, effort, uh, I, I mean, things have changed, Ian. You know, when we used to, you and I would be thrilled at, you know, Peter Snell and, and, and John Davies and then John Walker and, and, and later, of course, Nick Willison. Isn't he, you know, such a, uh, you know, a, 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 an athlete who stays there, so much resilience. But now it's into the field events. Two in the final of the men's shot put. Um, two in the final of the women's shot put. We had two competitors in the women's hammer throw. We had a competitor in the men's high jump. Uh, the, the emphasis on our success anyway, has moved away from the track, hasn't it? And and now the emphasis is on those field events. And I think of some of those 
young athletes in New Zealand or young people I see in the streets and I look at some of them and I say, wow, to myself, wouldn't it be great if the uh, impact of what New Zealand athletes are doing in the field events here is picked up and inspires some young people who are perhaps wandering around thinking, what am I going to do? There's nothing to do here. There is plenty to do. And lots of these young athletes here are showing you what can be achieved if you're dedicated, if you're inspired, and if you've got the willingness to get out and wear the silver fern and the black shirt and go to an Olympic Games, reach the top. So that's what the Olympics are about. eh? This sort of TV coverage uh, is there for inspiring uh, youngsters to just get out and follow the dream. Gosh, you know, and it's there for you, isn't it? You can go anywhere in the country and find a, a rowing club or a or a canoe club or, you know, a, a track and field athletics club around the country. They're all there waiting for you, arms open. Come in and play badminton or table tennis. It's there, you know. That's every four years we get that chance to inspire young New Zealanders to do something really special. Get off your butt and go and do something. And who knows what potential you unearth. Good God, man, you're inspiring me to... Go and do something myself. Hell's teeth. I might even go no, for no, a walk. I, I'm talking about you. I'm, no, 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 you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Cheers, hey, John, I've got to go and do John, a bit of work. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, John, uh, just, just finally, uh, you, ma- you make a really cool point there, actually, and it's, it's a great, great discussion point. We're traditionalists. We're older blokes, and you mentioned those names, Nell, Dixon, Walker, Davies, you know, uh, Les Mills, Robin Tate, you know, great track and yep. field names. Uh, are they somewhat, are the games, in your opinion, and you also make a great point about kids taking part and participating and getting keen, are they being diluted with skateboarding, with surfing, with wall climbing, uh, or is uh, we just got to bite the bullet here, us, us oldies, and, and go with the flow? Is, is that how it works? Yeah, well, I think so, mate. You know, the Olympics are also about, um, you know, money, but also uh, spreading spreading the the, um, uh, the the sports out so that we can embrace what younger people are more interested in doing. Uh, you know, I saw the, the rock climbing and I thought, oh no, where's oh that's in the Olympics now. And but when you when you consider that it's not that long ago that we were saying, well, why would you want trampolining in the Olympic Games? And what's happened? Thousands of young people are taking up trampolining, using what they do in the backyard to to effect to good effect, and and representing New Zealand, winning medals for goodness sake. So it'll be the same with you know we've seen the development of the skateboarding phenomena and how it's moved on to being you know a worldwide competitive. Um, yeah, we've just got to bite the bullet, I think, Ian, and say, okay, um, there are much more sports around than just the uh, what was the the Olympic motto was. Um, High, jump higher, longer, faster, all that sort of stuff. Um, there's more to it now. There's other skills involved in Olympic sports. John McBeth, uh, absolutely. It's been a privilege to, to have you on the show and to, to hear your uh, updates and your views on various matters uh, pertaining to the Olympics in particular. Uh, busy day ahead, of course. Uh, more uh, kayaking to call this afternoon, more eventing uh, and, and, and more uh, disciplines and track and field for John McBeth to get his uh, head around as well so uh, we'll let him go now uh, fantastic chat though really did enjoy it uh, uh, please uh, if you want to be part of our conversation as well uh, join the SENZ team 0800 some great texts that have come in as well on various issues um, on the mental side of sport uh, and uh, other matters too I'll mention those uh, very shortly uh, and we've also got uh, Ben Hurley Ben Hurley is coming up Uh, and then this hour as well before we uh, head towards...
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.24 here on SENZ, Ben Hurley, uh, a very, very good comic, uh, is joining us very, very shortly. Uh, some texts that have come in, uh, Morning Smithy, my favourite moment of the Olympics so far is seeing the reaction of Eric Murray and Niall Williams when they didn't realise that the cameras were on them. Pure joy and genuine. Actually, for me too, I, I saw a Mahe Drysdale break down in tears uh, when Emma Twig won the, uh, the gold the other day. It was... Uh, these are icons in our sporting and, and reflecting on other people's success. Oh, it's a great fellowship. Uh, it, really, it is. It is. Uh, Smithy and JD, in the 50s, 60s and 70s and some of the 80s, a few farmers pulled out of the All Blacks end of year tour. Great show, Anthony. I'm not quite sure I can remember any names there. I do remember Liam Squire pulling out of the All Blacks. That's been one of our texts here and that was uh, for mental health reasons we're, we're led to believe. Uh, Smithy, did you watch the rock climbing last night? Brute strength, but a lot of thinking in the second part of it. So I wasn't having a go at it. I was just quoting it as one of the newbies in town in terms of the Olympics. Uh, I've never tried it. It looks damned hard. It really does. And to have to do it with the clock uh, in the background, I would imagine, is, is something to really, really experience. Smithy, listening to that all-black coach, did they have some serious firepower on their back line or what? Um, really, Roger Tuivasa-Shek and Carter, unbelievable. Cheers, uh, Ken. Uh, I totally agree with you. If they're, if they're not a threat, uh, I'll go he. Uh, Grant says to me via Twitter, Morning Smithy, on your last caller's subject, I believe there is a movement now to stop the exam process in school due to the mental health of our children. Uh, it's a touchy one, John. It's uh, a touchy one. Uh, the other thing, of course, that it's read its ugly head, and it's a little bit ugly, I guess, and the boys talked about it on breakfast, is uh, the behaviour on the plane coming home from uh, some of our noted athletes. No names mentioned, but it's not totally unexpected that they might want to leer up a wee bit, is it? I mean, uh, hey, people in glass houses, hold your hand up if you're not guilty. I can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these guys have just been through the most pressure they've ever had in their lives. A lot of them have done well, the ones on that flight. I think uh, there were some of the sevens players on there, um, swimmers, footballers, uh, a trampolinist. Um, so they're on the flight uh, by reports, drinking excessively and throwing their face masks at the crew, prompting the pilot to leave the compa- uh, cockpit and intervene, a witness claims. Um, who is this witness, by the way? And... You know, aren't you allowed as an athlete to let off a bit of steam? I don't think throwing a face mask around is going to do anyone any damage, Smithy. You would have probably worn one. Um, they're not very heavy. Uh, can't do a lot of damage. Uh, I just think sometimes people are just keen to be snitches and to tell on some of our athletes or high-profile people in New Zealand. These people have just gone through the ringer for our country. They're having a bit of fun on the plane, playing some loud music, drinking a bit of booze. I don't see anything in this, Smitty. Well, face masks, John, I'll go back to that point of view. Why are we wearing face masks? Why are we wearing them? Um, And I know they're not going to hurt you if they hit you, but the, the purpose of wearing them is to stop the spread or the possible spread of the virus. So I can understand that someone um, is a little bit perturbed about someone's dirty face mask with their uh, breath, etc., on it, uh, being thrown around the cockpit of a plane. I'm not sure I'd be that thrilled if one of those landed in my lap. That's point one. Uh, point two, I, I absolutely, uh, totally agree with you that uh, there's cause for celebration, there's cause to break loose, 
They weren't obviously able to do it, or if they did, it was very confined and very quiet uh, in the Olympic Village, which is traditionally the place that you would let off the steam, this uh, jubilation, this disappointment as well. There, you know, there were people that weren't successful on that flight as well who were probably getting over their disappointment. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's a chartered flight. Uh, my understanding of chartered flights is that they are privately organised for specific people and not for the general public. But in this COVID times, I could be wrong on that. Uh, am, am I? Am I wrong on that? I don't think so. No, that's what I understand a chartered flight to be. So just who these witnesses were that are complaining is a bit strange. And then the Aussie Smithy, they're in a bit of heat for the same thing. Unacceptable behaviour on their flight home. And then uh, apparently they broke a bed in the athlete's village. Beds are made of cardboard. Of course they're going to break the bed. <laughs> Goodness me. Eh? Of course they're going to break the bed of cardboard. Uh, um, and I'll tell you what, just... Just between you and me, John, and I know it's, uh, there's a general audience here, but I wouldn't mind betting that the, the beds haven't got the normal activity that they've had in the Olympic <laughs> villages over the years. Just just saying. You're not just wrong. Just by the by, just saying. Not specific on too many details here. Mum's the word, nudge, 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 say no more, you know. But <laughs> the cardboard beds have been left pretty much unscathed in that department, shall we say. Uh, like... I think it's time we change the subject, uh, get some genuine comedy on the show, not us uh, pretenders. Uh, yeah, it's been a busy morning. I really enjoyed enjoyed talking to PJ Montgomery and John Macbeth, reliving times and hearing those golden voices. On our station has been fantastic. Love to hear your voice on our station uh, after the news. It's time to stump Smithy. Good luck. Uh, I got done yesterday, but on multi-form. I might be just coming right. Don't be very careful when John Day gives you a subject to pick that you pick the right one. That's after the news with Trudy here at 11.30 on SENZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right, Stumped by Smithy time. Your chance to win a $50 voucher from the TAB and we're going to Mount Roskill and Steve. G'day, mate. How are you? Hello. Are you ready to play Stump by Smithy? Do you know how the game works? Yeah, always ready. Good All to go. Right. Excellent. All right. Your three sports today, Steve, are rugby, cricket, and Formula One. What are you going to go for? I have to go for rugby. Rugby. Love it. Love it. But Smithy will know a lot about rugby, I'm sure, from those years on the sideline. So let's get started. All right, Steve. Who's your province, by the way? Auckland, obviously, for the NPC? Yeah, of course. RTS is around. Thanks. Yeah, RTS, get on that bandwagon. Absolutely. All right, first, first question. When did the Wallabies last win the Bledisloe Cup? Two thousand and three. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. That is incorrect. So a chance for a stumping here, Smithy. Steve has gone 2003. When did the Wallabies last win the Bledisloe Cup? Yeah, uh, I think it hasn't been this century. I'm going to go 1996, John. He's got it. He's out court. No, Smithy. No, that is a missed stumping. Steve was closer than you. It was 2002. Steve, 2003 is when they lost it. So they did hold it in 2003, but they didn't win it in 2003. I think uh, Graham Henry started his coaching in 2003, won the Bledisloe, and the Aussies haven't seen it since. So well done, mate. You were wrong, but you're still in the mix. Question number two. 
The Wallabies and All Blacks played each other four times last year. What were the results in terms of win, lose and draw for Ian Foster's team? Two wins, draw and, and a loss. There he goes, all the way, up into the stand. What a hit into the first tier. That's hitting a critical. That is exactly right. 16 all in that first test, Wellington. Uh, Smithy, that could have easily been a Wallabies victory. A massive boot from Reese Hodge just missing. Oh, look, I went and stood there. Just to digress a wee bit, I stood on that spot because I commentated that game. And I tried to imagine someone kicking a rugby ball from that far and hitting that far up the upright, John. Um, it's nearly at the top of the upright. He had another 20 metres up his sleeve on the way that he timed that kick. So, yeah, um, phenomenal. And fortunately for us, you're right, it hit the woodwork and bounced our way. Absolutely. All right, Steve, one more right answer and you win that $50 from the TAB. Richie McCaw played the most tests for the All Blacks with 148. Who has played the most test matches for the Wallabies? George Gregan. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. You little beauty. And do you want to have a guess at how many tests George Gregan played? No, you beauty. Maybe 110? 139, but you are the winner today, Steve. Well done, mate. $50 from the TAB going into your account. Stay on the line and give us your details. How good. Real good. Real good. We love a winner. And Smithy, unfortunately, not to be for you today. No, no, I don't mind, though. It's good to go to a good cause and Stephen Mount Roscoe. And please keep those calls coming in, folks. Uh, we don't mind giving away 50 bucks in the TAB. Uh, look, uh, it's just fantastic morning so far, John. Ben Hurley to come up as well, just to add a little bit of humour, a little bit of late humour. Uh, my best part, uh, according to uh, Mary Rose from Wellington, sent us a beautiful text. Uh, my best part of the Olympics so far was the joy on the face of the Italian high jumper Marco Tamberi on winning a gold and sharing a gold. In fact, it's happiness in the minutes that followed. And who said, I will never sleep again? Just unbelievable. Uh, Smithy, don't you worry about the Bledisloe Cup, pal. Nathan from the Naki says, the big game is earlier when the mighty Naki take on the Magpies at Pukakura Park. And now that is interesting. Last year, last year of course, Inglewood. Um, no Yarrow Stadium available still with its renovations, etc. But... Uh, the beautiful, the beautiful cricket ground that is Pukakura Park will host the Magpies. I'm jealous that I will not be there for that special occasion, John. Yeah, I love the MPC. Um, it's, it's when the real rugby starts for me. I've already planned my trips to be able to watch the Tasman Markle. They're playing at North Harbour Stadium. I live in Auckland. Uh, so North Harbour Stadium, well, which has been a bit of a graveyard. Yeah, it's, it's about five or ten minute drive, I think. Um, and then up yeah. to Whangarei, they play Northland, and that is one of my favourite road trips. Stop on the side of the road for a hungi, on the way to a magnificent stadium up there in Whangarei, and then boost back home. Or maybe I probably will get a motel that night uh, and enjoy myself in the far north. Well, I must mark that on the calendar, actually, because that probably means that Monday you won't be at work. <laughs> yeah, I can't promise anything, mate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's next on... Oh, yeah, we've got some ads coming up. Okay, fair enough. We haven't had those for a little while. Uh, and then Ben Hurley, uh, our comedian for the week, uh, with his take. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that Ben Hurley might have been pretty up close and personal with the mace, or disappointed, very disappointed that he wasn't. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! 
Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 11.43 here on SENZ. Just a shot on the television of a beaming smile from uh, our golfer Lydia Coe who has just teed off and the reason she's smiling is because she's nailed it straight down the middle of the fairway. Uh, updates on our Kiwi Athletes performance brought to you by Choices Floorings, Visualizer, Room View, the easiest way to help you transform your home and new flooring and rugs. Right, sports. how good is No that? joke. We like sports and we don't care who knows. From Wimbledon to the Astrodome. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Football, football, football. Uh, it's true, I've just done a massive tour of New Zealand. I've been from Northland to Southland. Northland to Southland. Do you know what I've concluded from this? White people should not be allowed to name things anymore. Northland and Southland. Do we not learn anything from North Island and South Island? 90 Mile Beach. I saw a road called Avenue Road. When I went to school, I went to school with a dude, his name was Guy Chapman. That's essentially like calling somebody Man Man Man. Ah, very good. I love a bit of humour, and uh, that's why I'm <laughs> going to enjoy talking uh, to Ben Hurley, man, man, man. Uh, look, Ben Hurley, of course, uh, folks, uh, very, very, very popular and very good comedian, but also uh, cricket tragic, and I'm sensing that tour from Northland to Southland, Mr Hurley, uh, may have incorporated uh, a travel companion naming the mace. Oh, well, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on, uh, Ian David Stockley, Smith, MBE. One day they'll give you the full knighthood. Um, but, uh, yes, I, 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 <laughs> I was actually in Christchurch over the weekend, and I went to go see the mace. But um, in what was a little bit of a tragedy, but also a fantastic uh, sight, was that the line was round the block, um, and it was, you know, dads and mums with their with their boys and girls going to see it, and um, you know it's just amazing that, to have that kind of uh, of that kind of visual of how big Test cricket of all the forms of cricket that Test cricket is that big in this country at the moment. It warms my heart. Well, look, I was able to work in the Sky Studio when the the WTC was on. I, I imagine you caught as much of it as, as was practical for you at the time. It seems a little while ago with the Olympics, etc., the rugby season, but. Uh, how special for you? I, I know you love the game. I know you really love the game. Oh, yes, I do. I, I really love the game. I mean, um, it was it was r- incredibly special to the point where I couldn't really... Um, I couldn't really make jokes or, or be lighthearted about it. Like, obviously, that's my, that's my job. Um, but I just, you know, I've loved cricket as my number one sport since I was a, a little wee fella and... Um, and, and after uh, 2019 in the World Cup final, like I literally couldn't talk about that game. I couldn't watch it. Um, it was, it was, I went through like the, whatever it is, the eight stages of grief after that. And uh, this was more than redemption for that. This was, um, this was a moment that I could probably go back and now I could probably watch that final now or, or even watch the Super Over. Like it, I feel like, there was there was a part of me that thought we would never win a world championship trophy at all because that was our chance, and then we did it um, not two years later. So um, yeah, it was it was a really awesome moment. One of the great things about the Olympics uh, at the moment we get to see the personalities of 
of people, and, we, and when they win and they they lose, we we get their reactions. My question to you, knowing the Black Caps so well, being close, working alongside them in, in various promotions, etc., at the ground, have you, in your role as a comic, ever made Kane Williamson laugh? Because I'm not sure I've ever seen him laugh. He's just so damn bloody serious. He uh, he he gives me a polite smile. Is about is about all I get out of of Kane. Um, a few of the other ones, I, you know, the, the one who tries the most to make Kane laugh is Tim Southey, and I think that's what earned him the nickname Pest because he he, he is relentless. Um, he he doesn't give up. He is trying to make a Kane Williamson um, pr- properly belly laugh, and I don't think it's happened yet, but it hasn't stopped him from trying. I tell you. <laughs> he is a character, Tim Southey, great mate of, of course, of our uh, morning host, uh, Brendan McCullum. Uh, let's just go uh, to the Olympics, can we? And uh, what, what's been your, your special moment or anything that's caught your eye? Oh, well, look, obviously, um, I'm going over some fairly well-trodden ground if I say that Lisa Carrington, she actually, and I, may, I mean this in the best possible way, she looks like a robot out there. Like, it's her, her, her stroke, if, the, if I'm using the right uh, terminology there, looks flawless and even the way that she breathes uh, when she's on the course just looks sort of um, superhuman Um, but I think what I've really enjoyed is um, New Zealand winning medals in things that we've never won in before like uh, with tennis was was a great one and um, and gymnastics you know the 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 trampoline um, medal is something and truly extraordinary and you know, I thought the only way New Zealander would ever win a trampoline medal was if their uh, big brother was on the trampoline with them trying to double bounce them. <laughs> I, I, I've been intrigued with that, you know, with the, these Olympics so far. We've had so many issues to talk about. The Laurel Hubbard one, of course, which is probably not joking matter. Uh, thank God it's over and done with from that point of view. Uh, but, you know, we, we've seen... Uh, the Italians share a gold medal. I mean, would you, Ben Hurley, would you share a gold medal with with anybody? And if so, who? Oh, I absolutely would if, it thought, if I thought that it was going to come down to a jump off. Um, because I think every, just to take it back to cricket for a second, I think every cricket fan in New Zealand would have shared that uh, World Cup title in 2019 in England. I think we would have, um, rather than go to a super over, I think we would have happily shook hands with England and gone, let's share it, eh? So um, I, I, <laughs> I absolutely uh, <laughs> I absolutely would have shared a gold medal. But that Italian uh, jumper was um, just like, and I don't mean this in a critical way, he was, the, he was the opposite of every New Zealander who's ever won a medal. Like, he was rolling on the ground and crying and clutching the Italian flag and wiping his tears away with it. And, uh, and you know, New Zealanders, we generally, oh, we might give a bit of a smile and a wave, we might shed a tear, but that's about as, as much as we ever give. We might do it if we lose. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean... Um, everyone, everyone remembers those big Gavin Larson tears rolling down his face, walking around Eden Park in '92, don't they, Ian? Yeah, they, yeah, they do. There might have been a guy with some hats on. It wasn't too far off it, too. Uh, perfectly honest, uh, com- uh, comedy-wise, work-wise, comedy-wise, uh, you've been pretty busy, mate. You've had some tours, some sell-out tours around the country. Uh, you taking a breather for it, or have you got something coming up? 
Um, I've uh, I've started work as a, a roving reporter for um, Seven Sharps, um, so that's that's, mm. that's my that's my new gig, and that's um, that's a lot of fun and a, and a whole new thing for me. Um, I'm sort of giving stand up a little bit of a, a breather for a little while while I, I concentrate on that and um, and doing a bit of radio as well. So um, yeah, no, very happy. It's, it's about the best um, time to be a sports fan at the moment and spend a bit of time at home as well. So. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big league fan, and uh, and of course we've got the uh, first game of the new World Test Championship uh, starting uh, tonight, I believe, um, India and England, and mm. I can't yep. I can't wait for that as well, because after those those cobra spitting dust bowls that England had to play on in India, I really just hope they prepare some pitches where you can't tell where the pitch starts and the outfield ends. Ben Hurley was our sports no joke guest. For this week, uh, and he's dead right. It does start tonight, the cricket, and it starts here on SENZ. First ball at uh, 10 o'clock tonight. Jeremy Coney, part of the commentary team. Should be fun. And it's just uh, time to catch up with uh, Mark Stafford, who's uh, in the chair from 12 to 4 this afternoon. Uh, for four hours, about the same amount of time, Staff, that Lydia will be on course in her first round at the Olympics. I can tell you that she made par out of a bunker on the first, which is a great start for her. Uh, busy afternoon in store, mate. You, I mean, I, I caught something yesterday to say you're just pinching all the best guests, got everyone, because of who you are. What's going on there? Well, I heard the breakfast guys, and it was one of them that had a crack at me, and they talked to Stacey Flula. I mean, you, pretty big stars. But, you know, just after 12, just after the news, I, I am sneaking in, uh, got the great Hamish Bond today. Uh, oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> and I've got a couple others lined up uh, in the next two days. So I was just putting placeholders on them because, you know, we're friends of athletes, Smithy, as you know, and we don't want to over-ask all the same ones. So I just said, these are the people I'm lining up for the rest of the week. Did it out of service, and they had a pop at me, said I was stealing all the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you've got dibs on Lisa Carrington as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Big staff. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll tell you, I've got, hopefully, Sarah Hidney tomorrow. Um reflecting on that and I'm doubling up with the Black Ferns because hopefully have Tyler Nathan Wong on Friday as well um, and I'll tell if all the producers out there listening I'm going to get the trampolinist I'm going to get the diver because I ask this is what it's about this is what the people want to hear Ian well don't look at me Mark no no we're, look we're, through the window at John I know, he's, my producer you know you know what? You know what the term "flicking the bird" is. I just a bird just flew through the window at me from John Day. So I'd recommend a two out of ten for him today, Smithy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure he registered today. Hey, can you can you ask? Uh, uh, and uh, maybe I can ask you anyway. But do you think the Taylor Nathan Wong style of kicking off will ever get into men's rugby? Look, it's I love it. I love it. And I said, mm. you're not fooling anyone because you give them heaps of time. She goes, I know, and it annoys them. And uh, it's all about just getting into their head. I love it. Yeah, I do too. Well, folks, getting into your head for the next four hours will be Mark Stafford, the star pincher. And uh, he will be on from 12 to 4 this afternoon here on SENZ. My thanks to Brian, outstanding again. John, work in progress, but it's a pass mark today. Uh, Trudy, as usual, the perfect 10. I'm going to call you Bo Derek from now on. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21